Hi, welcome to Two Moms on the Couch. I'm Dr. Dana Dorfman. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City. And I'm Amy Veltman, a stand-up comic who's married to a psychiatrist, which I like to think is almost the same thing as being a psychotherapist in New York City. Every week, we delve into a different issue and try to give you useful takeaways based on Dana's expertise to help you deal with it in an emotionally healthy way. This week, our topic is dealing with other annoying generations and how to make them less annoying. When we were thinking about this topic, we were thinking about, first of all, doing Gen X, but then what do we say? Oh, we liked Reality Bites or, you know, we didn't or whatever. But we wanted to kind of dig into the idea of why generations find other generations so annoying, Mm -hmm. basically. And if there was a way to counteract that. So we kind of want to avoid being like those crotchety old lady sitting on a porch going, damn, the kids these days, they're so annoying. Uh I can't take it. And we also wanted to avoid the kids rolling their eyes at us. We wanted to give everybody a greater sense of intergenerational peace. That's our goal with this episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it is so easy to go to that as soon as we don't understand something with our kids to say, They're always on their phones or social media is ruining this generation. So it is such a tempting place to go. So easy. But I don't know. You can't help but think it's a little bit cheap. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. Well, but at the same time, I'm going to start with a little story about a time that I was annoyed with a millennial. It's happened to me. I'm not saying it hasn't happened to me, but I was interviewing somebody for a babysitting job and... I asked this girl who was in her 20s what her ultimate goals were because through previous babysitting hires, I'd realized that some of the people, their minds were elsewhere. I just, I found that it had been a useful question in the past. And so I asked this girl and she said, well, uh, in 10 years, I want to be an SVP at a global beauty company. (laughs) And I just remember thinking, Okay, poor thing doesn't know that EVP is an option, <laughs> you know, like that that she's so naive. I mean, unless she's shooting low, but uh, <laughs> but that was her goal. Yeah, that was her goal, and I just thought it was weird that it was the level and that she wasn't talking about kind of the role that she'd be playing mm-hmm. as much as the level. And yeah. it just it struck me as so strange and superficial, and I found it annoying. But hold on, there's there's going to be a postscript to this. But Dana, have you ever had a situation where you have found somebody of another generation annoying? <laughs> I think that I have. You have? I think that I've encountered that. I had attended this networking event, and mm-hmm. it's a networking event that's for mom entrepreneurs. Its premise is really nice because I like the idea of women supporting women and women not competing with each other, but trying to lift each other up and support each other. So I had gone to this event with another friend who's also starting a business, and she is actually a friend from high school. So she's exactly my age, Mm -hmm. and we grew up together. So in the throes of this event, 
First of all, it was so beautifully curated, but so curated that I could not quite get past how meticulously branded every little element of it was. And everybody seemed younger than both of us. Even sort of their style of speech was very different. It just seemed like I had entered into a whole different culture that I was ill-prepared for and like doesn't necessarily represent the way that we think even the food was there were ingredients and labels on every bit of the salads were delicious. The food was great, but like there was gluten-free, vegetarian, every every kind of milk you can imagine. Oat, oat milk, almond milk, skim milk, blah, blah, blah. No hemp? I'm sure there was hemp. Because I was about to get really upset. Oh my gosh. So then we were attending this one panel. It was a big audience full of people. And so there were two women sitting beside my friend and me, and they were taking selfies. We were sitting in the second or front row, and they kept taking them and retaking them and posting. They were taking selfies, obviously, of themselves in the audience. And my friend and I kept looking at each other like we could not believe how rude we thought it was and how inappropriate it was and narcissistic. We had all of these judgments. On the other hand, there was definitely part of me that was thinking, who are we to be criticizing them? It does. It's not necessarily the way we were raised or like the culture or the the norms that we necessarily kind of ascribe to. But on the other hand, and my friend and I kept looking at each other, I think because, and I felt very much like those old biddies on the porch thinking, you know, can you believe that these two youngsters are doing... Like, get over yourself. Stop taking pictures of yourself and be where you are. And how inappropriate, too. Like, why do you keep retaking them? Like, this is, you're in a public place. You know, you don't take pictures of yourself in front of other people. And I think that... Really? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. No, I know. It's funny. I never thought of... Of that particular flavor of selfie judgment. I, it was just more the vanity of it that I always thought was the thing that I was supposed to frown upon. Well, there is that element too. Okay. And that they kept retaking it and they felt no embarrassment about it. I mean, I still feel embarrassed when people take my picture, which it may be attributable to me, but I also think some of it is generational. I don't know how to pose, how to make my arms I can look- teach you. Okay. <laughs> you know the tricks? My sister-in-law and some other people have taught me about how to turn your body and always make sure the camera's above you, not below. That so one that, I Yeah, know. yeah. There's about the double chin. And the smiles and all that stuff. Yeah. Smile? Oh, yes. Yeah. Smile smiles. with your yes. eyes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> yes, I've learned You're that You're doing one. it right now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you talking to me about this event and thinking, oh, that would have been such a great opportunity for us to talk about our podcast and meet new people and network in that world. And you just were so over it. You were like, I had to get out of there. I couldn't talk about it. We left. Yeah. We left. And all of the merch, I felt very rejecting of it. And I also felt like, oh my God, my ship has sailed. Like I'm no longer part of the current generation. I felt like I was... Just in a different world, the way that people interacted had a different quality to me than there was a lot of talk about authenticity and how to convey your realness on social media. I mean, it's so funny, you know, just thinking of how we grew up as Gen X. I think that a lot of younger people, they might know the fashions of Gen X or the music of Gen X, but 
what they might not get is how real and entrenched some of these attitudes were to the point where a lot of us were like, ooh, that's so gross that somebody would make a movie trying to capture what we're about. You know, it's in such stark contrast to something like Girls, which started with Lena Dunham's character saying, I'm the, I want to be or I am the voice of my generation. Yes. You know, I remember I was friends with these people in Portland who were in this band that I adored. They gave the most amazing live performances. It was a band called Cracker Bash. And it sounds so corny to say it, but they were real pure artists, mm. especially the lead guy. And they were so great. And I remember they got offered to sign with Sub Pop, which was the label that Nirvana was on. And they were like, oh, my God. God, that would be selling out so bad. And it wasn't, you know, this was in Sub Pop at that time was indie versus Warner Brothers or Sony or one of the big labels. I mean, the idea that Sub Pop was selling out, but that was like, okay, I can respect that. And I have to admit that now Sub Pop has a store in the Seattle airport and I look at it and I'm thinking Kurt Cobain and many other people who have overdosed are probably rolling over in their graves right now because huh. it's just so antithetical to the values of Gen X huh. to have an airport, yeah. like the commerce of it. It wasn't mm -hmm. about the commerce. It was about the art and the statement. And like authenticity is never having to say you're authentic. Exactly. That's the vibe of Gen X. Yes, very that, much so. Yeah. And we don't, like, the idea of having a platform, like, I just learned about platforms in the past few years, that it, branding, platforms, Instagram, I've been slow to the social media circus, and I'm always conscious of whether or not I reject it because it's threatening to me, like, I don't understand it, and I want to be open to new things. There's something about it that I, I so reject, and I don't want to be rejecting, I don't know, it's a, Right. I get it. And I think when we were thinking about this episode, what really helped me to crack it was this idea that the thing that annoys us a lot of times is the behaviors, mm -hmm. like the behavior that we label entitlement in millennials, mm -hmm. for example. But when you look at the context that they were raised in, there really are people who become famous overnight. Yes. You know, I'm sure there are better examples, but there's that guy who had that thing about there's Daniel with the white vans or something. Do you remember that meme? Mm -hmm. It was this thing where this mm -hmm. guy was complimenting another guy in his class about it. There goes Daniel. Or D's nuts, the D's nuts guy mm -hmm. is a thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's just all these people where – in 48 hours, we're all saying D's nuts, and then D's nuts guy is a thing. Yes. You know, and that couldn't happen in our world. In our time, there were gatekeepers. There was a hierarchy of distribution of information. So when I look at it in the context of how these people grew up, that mm -hmm. a Kardashian could become famous for doing selfies and vanity right and having an association with a lawyer who was defending somebody that 
probably committed a murder. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, inconceivable in our day, but not inconceivable now. They've parlayed that into a business. So that's the context these people are working in. And so when you look at it that way, the babysitter who wanted to be an SVP If you look at it in her context, she was actually planning to work really hard, that it would take her 10 years to be a working person in a company versus I want to be famous next week because of the memes I put up of me and your kids Uh playing in the park, you know? So I guess what I found useful in thinking about these behaviors of these other generations is trying to understand the waters that they're swimming in. Yeah, and what the cultural norms are or, yeah, like sort of the context in which they were raised or that what It's values. It you is know, values. like how did their values develop? I always notice how people will say, you know, they don't have values or the, where I think that they just have You mean about millennials or about say, other, all? One generation will say about another, you know, she has no values or she has screwed up values. When I think that the values of certain generations, I mean, this is certainly a generalization, but are really different because also this generation of millennials as far as a parenting perspective, they were very validated. They were very much attended to. Their parents probably were pretty child-centric, much, much more than our parents, the silent generation. Is that what our parents' yeah, our generation parents, is? Yes. Wow. Or that's what it's... Right. So is the silent generation older than the boomers? A yes. little bit, right? Yes. Okay. So there's the greatest generation. The greatest. Those are the ones that did World War II. Yes. Then the silent generation, generation. those were the ones who probably had to fight in Vietnam or try not to and had parents who were in World War II. Uh, and so there was all this prosperity to follow and prosperity and sacrifice yes. and hard work were the things that they were kind of reacting to. Mm -hmm. And then after the silent generation is the boomers where they were probably like, forget about silence. You know, we want to embrace the life that we are living. We Mm -hmm. don't just want to work and die. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to die for something that we don't believe in, like Vietnam. Right. So then is Gen X after that. And so... I think also you have to look at birth control coming into the picture during the boomer times. And so all of a sudden these women are empowered to make choices Mm -hmm. about their lives that might not be so child-centric. And even if you do opt to have children, A, you're opting into it, Mm -hmm. and B, you're seeing that there are a lot of choices for you beyond just being a mom. Not yeah. that, quote, just being a mom right. is just being a mom. It's really hard, actually. But life but is there saying were more to you, you that's not, you know, you can, you can do more. And even in a way saying you should do more. Absolutely. That is one of, I think that that's one of the hallmarks of our generation, that we were raised in a generation where it was kind of forbidden to say, like, you're going to college to get an MRS degree. Right, right. And, Oh, but I was talking about the the generation before us that parented us because my parents were not micromanaging in a lot of ways except how I cleaned my room. But, you know, they weren't – they didn't know what my homework assignments were day-to-day the way that I do with my kids. or They weren't helicoptery, I guess is what I'm saying. No, And so our generation, the Gen Xers as parents – 
our reaction to that is to be more involved. Yes, exactly. We're in between baby boomers and millennials. And so the baby boomers are likely to be the parents of millennials. Oh, okay. I think I, that's the way I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I think that the way that we're parenting, like our children are, are not the Gen millennials. Z. Yes, or right. Gen Z. So then Gen Xers, and this okay. is a massive Right, right. Like people, there are people on either side of the bell totally. curve. And our generation, Gen X, is also, I think, the smallest generation. We are Which the probably does have something to do with the advent of the pill and Roe yes. v. Wade. And also, and divorce rates. We were and raised in a rates. times when, when divorces were at an all-time peak. And also, in the 80s, there, were all, there was all of that economic kind of fluctuation. So I think that that probably impacted, you know, the growth of our generation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I got out of college and I got a job offer to be an executive assistant for an architect, which was you know, a a full sentence of things that had no interest for me whatsoever. (laughs) My parents were like, take it. In two (laughs) weeks, I realized, ooh, not a great fit. And they were like, stay for a year or you'll never work again. (laughs) And and that was because they had grown up with a social contract that valued you give to the company, the company gives to you. It's a, it's a commitment. It's about commitment. It's about staying for a long time and showing that you're responsible and constant. Loyal. Loyal. So different from today. uh, Yes. And different. I think that our generation even rebelled against that a little bit. I ended up rebelling quite a bit. (laughs) You had a million jobs. Yeah. Garbanzos. our parents' generation, like, lived to work, and our generation works to live. Right. Or we're a little bit more in between that. I think that even, like, the next generation, the millennials, I think that they emphasize work-life balance even more than we do. We aspired to that, but I think that millennials really emphasize that more. I don't get the feeling that they believe that there should be a better work culture. There's much more flexibility integrated into their schedules, at least what I see in my office. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, And then, you know, there's Gen Z, which is our kids. Our kids are Gen Z. And sometimes they say things to me where I just, I don't understand. And I've taken to saying, oh, is that a meme? If they, they, and 80% of the time, yes, it is a meme. It's a foreign language to us, and they have these whole lives online that are inaccessible to us. Or my kids will say to me, oh, mom, watch this video. It's so funny. And I just don't have the patience for videos a lot of the time. Uh I mean, you know, I want to care about what they care about because I care about them. But sometimes I'm like, why are we wasting our time on this idiocy when there are a million books by Henry James mm-hmm. for no <laughs> yeah and i'm sure our Not parents James, but you felt know that I mean. way about yeah. us although i think i wonder if the chasm is even greater because of the advent of technology and technology has expedited or accelerated things so much and so quickly that i wonder if there are more changes like i think in previous generations 
in the early 1900s, for example, from generation to generation, there were not, while there were certainly advancements and there was some kind of like societal evolution, I think that there were not as many differences from generation to generation as there are now. I mean, think about the change, like if, you know, people used to write letters in the mornings and then have a horse and carriage go deliver it. Mm-hmm. And can't you just imagine some little Lord Fauntleroy being like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, mother, send a telegram. <laughs> Why are you so old fashioned? Like, stop dipping your pen and pay attention to me. You know, like, That's- I imagine that everything was as disruptive and uh-huh. changing because then what happened to the horses and carriages or the people that went and delivered those notes when all of a sudden there's a postal service or, you know. Automobiles. And, automobiles and. Yeah. So, maybe, you know, so I don't know. It just feels like it's always changing. Maybe it just feels different or maybe. Or maybe I just like to think that everything is harder for us. <laughs> and so therefore, like, there's just a bigger difference for us because I like to, my husband always has a joke like, yes, Dan, I know everything is harder for you. <laughs> but so it could be a little bit of that. And I think that there is an inherent either disregard or criticism or like nose snubbing that goes from one generation to another. Like I know that my parents rolled their eyes about certain TV shows that we watched or the music that oh, we yeah, listened the to music. and thought that it was weird or crazy or whatever. And we rolled our eyes back up at them. We were like, ugh, why do you listen to this? I can't. Sock hop. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So there is this intergenerational eye rolling Mm -hmm. where we roll our eyes down at our kids. Ugh, you're wasting all your time on the phone or lying on the bed. And to our parents, you know, ugh, you're wasting all your time Mm -hmm. and, you know, domestic tasks and doing them to the utmost or listening to stupid music or whatever you're doing. And I was thinking about this and and kind of this idea that the way that you roll your eyes at your parents' habits is kind of like, we have to do that because our job is to individuate from our parents, is to separate from them. And so that's development, right? Yep. Like as a teenager, your job is not to think your parents are perfect, but to find your own way in the world. And I think there's kind of parallel between this idea that you judge the behaviors of a generation. Like it stands for your parents. Yes. It stands for the thing that you're trying to get away exactly. from so that you can define yourself And that's what the kids do to us. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the actual things that we do, but they have to make their own way and define their own way. And they're in a new context, so they really should. Yes. They decide, they kind of internalize some of the values that we've imparted or that we live by. You try to then evaluate like what things you want to perpetuate and what things you want to discontinue or the things that don't work anymore and like, and then the pendulum kind of starts to swing back or you, the next generation forces the pendulum to swing back the other way. But it's a like inherent phenomenon kind of. Right. Like for us to roll our eyes at people obsessively taking selfies of themselves in 
a public venue and being completely shameless about wanting to get it exactly right, it's so much easier for us to roll our eyes at that than to say, oh my gosh, I'm irrelevant. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm dying. I'm on the way out. Yeah. And so it's it's much more fun to be an old lady rocking on a porch and a chair being like, they can't these days. They just don't get it. Yeah. And I think it's also natural in some way to want to, or I find myself resenting that I now have to live in accordance with this new way. I mean, I know that social media, that there are benefits to it, but I resent because I have many issues concentrating and things. I resent, there's just so much No, I had the best week last week too with all these comedy shows that were great and all these great opportunities. And I kind of feel like I'm the comic that fell in a forest because I haven't posted anything about it on social media. And it's like my Gen X values are saying, just hold it in your heart. And then my pragmatic, I want to be a part of today values are like, if you don't post that S really soon, then it's like it didn't even happen. Or you're such a later gram poster Mm -hmm. that like, what are you even doing? Mm -hmm. And I'm so conflicted. Right. Like, is it bad to post a week later? Am I allowed to because I'm old or just be, I don't know. I don't know. Just, I find myself right. asking millennials, like, what is the social media etiquette? And to, to them. Just the word etiquette yeah. is like oxymoronic <laughs> for them probably. <laughs> Call Emily Post and ask her. <laughs> She's passed. <laughs> but these are the kinds of things that. I realize even, you know, I've been trying to publish a book. Mm -hmm. And in order to do so, publishers want to see that you have a social media presence. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, if you were an experienced therapist, you wrote a, a book about your experiences and your observations and developed some kind of theories about it. You went and pitched it to a bunch of publishers and that was it. Now there's a whole social media element. You have to have a platform, which I, once again... I'm learning and a brand and a website. And And be perceived as a thought leader. Yes, a thought leader. You need to be packaged. Totally. And And you need a brand. And I resent that in some way. On the other hand, I recognize its value. And I also see this is the way of the world. And, you know, I'm always sort of struggling with, well, let's plumb that a little bit in a way because... We use the word values. It's almost like saying, I'm too cool to post it on social media or something. But what's the underlying value that you would be breaching by being a social media whore? I guess because I grew up in a world where, like, even the idea of having a website, I remember it was probably about 10 years ago, and I was talking to a colleague, and it was just about when therapists were just starting to have websites, and he said, I don't want to be the kind of therapist who gets referrals, you know, from people seeing my website. Like, I want to get referrals from other people, from, you know, word of mouth and things that it seems like having a website seems like an artificial advertisement for something that's so intimate and kind of... um, Like there's a crassness to it. A little bit. Right. May I add now that this, this same therapist, not only has he had several websites since then, he has all different kinds of YouTube videos. You know, he's definitely joined the new way. You know, I, I just think of this thing that my dad once said, where he said all change is loss. 
And I'm sure other people have said that uh-huh. too, but of course I remember it more because my dad said it. And even good changes, you're losing something and it's hard. Loss yes. is hard. So many times values seem to us, we don't even think of them as values. We think of them as like what's right and what's wrong. And so we don't even... It's like a fish swimming in water. They don't even realize they're wet. Exactly. They're just kind of like, yeah, this is living. Yes, and so then we would naturally reject something like when I saw those women take. I was even like call an oil girls. spill. I was continuing the fish <laughs> metaphor. No, but when I saw the the girls take the girls, the women, the young women taking photos, to me it seemed wrong. When in fact <laughs> I think it's like just a different value. And taking that step back is always so hard to do. A lot of times with my kids too. When my daughter is sitting on her bed watching tons of videos and talking to six different friends at one time and can remain in her room for, you know, three or four hours at a pop, just communicating or not, or watching Netflix, or I don't even know what she's doing. To me, it sounds not only like a waste of time, but like unhealthy to be sitting there for so long. But I think this is what all teenagers do. And when I- In one way or another. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was reading George Eliot books, but, you know, look where that got me. No, but that was another form of escape, actually. I just would use books to escape instead of screens. If I'd had the screens, I would have been right there. I'm sure of it. I just keep thinking, what's the value underneath these things? Like a person taking selfies you know, it's easy to say, oh, this is all about you. It's wrong. But another way to think about it is, oh, they want to share something out with the world. They don't want to hog this experience. They want it to be egalitarian. And, you know, yeah, they might want to humble brag that they were there, but there there might be more to it. Similarly, with my kid in her room, sometimes I'll be talking about some political thing with my husband. And she'll pipe in with something. She watches news in there half the time. And, you know, I'm always assuming it's dumb, you know, videos about people doing dance moves and saying stupid (laughs) expressions, but it's not. Yeah. It's the whole world. And so I guess for me, that seems like a takeaway for myself is this idea of finding a more generous interpretation of an underlying value that a person is expressing through a behavior that might, on the surface, look irritating Exactly. Yeah, like understanding what's driving it and relating to it in some way, too. Once again, like the same way that I was on my telephone for hours and hours and hours with my friends consulting about boys and clothing and nail color and things like that. And I'm sure I would be watching the makeup videos. Oh my and, gosh, I would have so much. Oh. I would have been making them. Well, and they can, they can contour this generation like no other. I mean, what do we know from I need contour? a lesson. So that's one takeaway is this idea of, you know, look for a generous interpretation that you can relate to. What are some other takeaways for this idea of how to deal better with generations? When you find yourself being immediately rejecting of that generation and making generalizations and assumptions, and if you're seeing consistent behaviors with people of a certain age, as you say, I think that it's helpful to take a step back, realize that there's something 
in us that would want to reject or, you know, there's something anxiety producing almost about the newness of this generation. And then to be able to understand it within a context and understand, as you were saying, like the intentions, what are they getting out of it? Does that sort of align with our values? Like we want for them to be entertained. We want for them to be sharing and socializing. Even my son will say all the time when he's playing Fortnite, like, you know, I'm playing with other kids. And that is not exactly the way that I envision playing with other kids. But stick balls out. (laughs) And the other thing is that I think that in our tendency to be critical, I think that also we can personalize some of the differences as well. Like Like it's an affront to us that somebody would behave in such a fashion. Exactly. And we take it, especially when it's your family. Just yesterday, I was was imitating Cardi B with my kids and both of them were saying, you know, oh, mom, like that's just some, that's so wrong. Like that's just wrong to hear you saying that, like, do not do that again, which I didn't know was such a nuanced sound, even what I I thought it sounded like her, but, and they said it sounded like a dead cat. Oh, mm, kids, kids. I guess I'm not like Cardi B. I won't quit my day job. Yeah, don't, not yet. But I think that when they're saying that, to understand that that is also like a generational necessity. that They, they need that individuation or separation where you can't get in there. Right. And that they need their own language and their own kind of peer-supported culture. While they would like for us to understand it, they don't necessarily want us to imitate it. Like, if I started dressing like my daughter, it would not look... So this idea is that Gen Z kids listening, I'm sure there is maybe one of you, (laughs) millennials, you're going to feel the same thing. Your kids are going to do stuff that you don't understand, that you think is crazy, but look for the intention and the value beneath it and try to relate without trying to imitate because otherwise your kids will be embarrassed by you. Be embarrassed. And also feel criticized. Like, I just remember how I felt a little bit shamed by my parents when they would, you know, mock something that my generation was doing. Held dear. Yeah. Or that they would say, like, when I was your age, I blah, blah, blah. Like, when I was your age, I never traveled this much, right? Never. By the time I was that age, I had never even been on a plane. And you've been to Europe three times. And I feel like, well, it's not my fault that I grew up in this generation or planes are more readily accessible, whatever it is, or that that, you're old. It's not my fault that you're (laughs) old. Yeah. So I think that when you find yourself doing that, I think that it is helpful to take a step back because as lifespans are expanding and as people are working longer, like in this current workforce, there are four generations, which is really, and that's a first, I think. And that's a lot to get annoyed by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of difference. So we do, we are going to have to interact with each other. And so to just be immediately rejecting seems like not particularly useful. And lastly, I think that Gen Xers probably, we are the best generation. <laughs> just face facts. We're the coolest. We're the coolest. We I are. won't say we're the most authentic because that would automatically <laughs> right. cancel out right. our authenticity. Yeah. Okay. And I know all you generations out there that aren't us are thinking the exact same thing. Now it's time for almost everybody's favorite segment, maybe ours. Now, you don't have to. (laughs) I'll tell you mine first. Okay. Okay. So 
as you know, because I do this podcast, I'm super interested in therapy. I'm in the middle of this book that I can hardly put down by this woman named Lori Gottlieb, who was in the film and television business, and then she went to medical school. So, so far, story identical to my husband's. But then she became a therapist rather than doing a residency in psychiatry. And she has written this phenomenal book about therapy and about her journey to her own insight and the things that get in the way of it and her own therapist and how creative he is and it's so fascinating and then some of her own patients and challenges with it. It's surprisingly suspenseful and I just see I see echoes in your life, Dana, mm -hmm. with this book. I see some in mine and I just find it fascinating. If you've listened to this podcast for this long, you're probably interested enough in therapy that you would love it too. But it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Somebody, and it's by Lori Gottlieb. Super high recommend. I think that I recommended it to you, didn't I? I sent Did it you? To, I sent it to Daniel. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, a couple of, didn't I? I don't know. You might have. I, I mean, this memory is yeah, for think, nothing. I think, and this may be a cop-out, but I actually want to piggyback on that one. And no, I think it's a double endorsement worthy. It's a double endorsement. It is such a good book. It, it, it is, it's also so well-written and mm. so, I'll use the word, authentic. Yeah. I think she's really very self-revealing and goes pretty deep. So that's it. So tolerate the other generations. Yeah. And uh, embrace. Maybe you should talk to someone, somebody. All right. Uh, as we say every week, we are so grateful for you listening to us. Uh, we hope you got something out of it. If you did, please rate us, review us on iTunes. It helps people find us. It helps us not have to do social media so much and be so inauthentic. <laughs> mm -hmm. We want you to be inauthentic for us. And, <laughs> and by the way, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We have a website. Two Moms on the Couch, the number two, dot com. And we are really grateful to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.